0: Uh, Jesus has taken his disciples to a rather interesting place uh, in the northeastern part of Israel, uh, which seems to be very much in the middle of uh, nowhere at the Golan Heights in Lebanon actually look down uh, upon uh, this area. It's the headwaters of the Jordan River in this once beautiful, still is beautiful, but once uh, much more heavily populated area called Caesarea Philippi. It was a place for a good time if you want to put it in modern parlance, it was sort of las Vegas meets the Grove Park Inn or the cloister or someplace like that uh, and it was a wonderful resort community that you could go to and uh, relax and uh, there were these there were the headwaters of the Jordan which was so beautiful and yet uh, it was also a place of Pagan worship, in fact, uh, the Greeks believe that uh, the demigod uh, Pan uh, was, cons- was born there in Caesarea Philippi in a cave, uh, the half-man, half-goat figure that, uh, that you see in Greek mythology. And so it was a place of worship. And if you were to go there today, you can go. And in the main central area, you'll see in this sheer rock face all of these little niches carved out in the side of the cliff. And these niches were carved out so that you could put idols images of of Greek gods up into the face of the cliff. And in addition to that, you can walk around the, the area and you can find the ruins of temples to Greek gods. So what in the world is Jesus doing here? Why is he taking his disciples to a place like this, which is really out of the way? Jesus is taken into a place that is a monument to the priorities of the world. Caesarea Philippi demonstrates wealth, leisure, and power. And it is here that Jesus asks the question, Who do you say that I am? In the midst of all of these options, Jesus asks his disciples, Who do you say that I am? Now, as I mentioned, I've been to Caesarea Philippi, and I've also been to some other great monuments to humanity. I've seen the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. I've been to the ruins of mighty Carthage in Tunisia, and I've seen the ruins of ancient Rome in that modern-day city. And yet, all of them now lay in ruin. And I wonder if you were to ask any of those, any residents of those places in ancient days, will the temple be destroyed? Will this beautiful resort be no more? Will Carthage be plundered? Will the Roman Empire come to an end with only ruins as a reminder of its former glory? I think it's a safe bet to say that the answer would be an unequivocal no. And yet, that is exactly what happened. Where those places, including Caesarea Philippi, are in ruins, when Jesus asks, Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter gets it right. Simon Peter says, You are the Christ. The son of the living God, the Messiah, the one that has come to rescue sinful and broken humanity even from itself. And isn't it remarkable that that place, Caesarea Philippi, and all of the great places of the ancient world, where they now lay in ruins, the declaration of who Jesus Christ is, is still alive today. And he is alive. And here today while everything else has succumbed to the tide of time. Even those places that were once great metropolises and centers of Christian ministry, like Palmyra in modern-day Syria, now lie in ruins. And it's very difficult for us to imagine it being a prosperous and vibrant place. But what we see in history is that even with the fall of these great cities... The faith of its Christian inhabitants did not die. One of the most remarkable things, I think, in the New Testament and the Gospels is when uh, Jesus is brought up by Pontius Pilate before the crowd right before he's crucified. And Pilate had wanted to free Jesus. And yet, when he said, whom shall I release, which was the custom of the governor of the province, uh, the crowd began to scream and yell, Barabbas! Barabbas! Free Barabbas. Now, it's a heartbreaking thing to encounter in the Gospels. But the thing about Barabbas is that Barabbas was containable. He was a safe bet. He was imprisoned uh, for uh, being part of a rebellion. He was a zealot. He He was a murderer. He was someone who would incite violence to overthrow the Roman authorities. And the thing about Barabbas is Barabbas would be released. But you know what? Barabbas is going to be back in jail again. And if Barabbas were to cause some problems, all Rome would have to do is send some soldiers in order to pick him up and take him back. But with Jesus, Jesus, it's different. Even killing him doesn't work. You know, if Barabbas acts out, you can just pull up some tanks, right? Get a helicopter in there, and you've taken care of Barabbas. But nothing can thwart Jesus Christ and what he's come to do. And here we are in Birmingham, Alabama, 2,000 years later, worshiping, believing, because of the foundation upon which the church is built, which is the declaration of Simon Peter that you are, are the Christ, the Son of the living God, the Messiah, the Rescuers. Now Jesus takes his disciples to places they normally wouldn't go, nor would they want to go. Here in Caesarea Philippi, which no devout Jew would would frequent, last week in the gospel reading, uh, reading we were in the region of Tyre and Sidon where they encountered the Syrophoenician woman. Jesus is taking them to places that make them feel profoundly uncomfortable. And yet that is where he is sending them. And after his resurrection, that is where the missionary thrust is to. These great cities and places that were places Jewish people didn't go. But if you're going to go to a Caesarea Philippi, if you're going to go to a Rome or Carthage to renew the city, what is it that you're going to bring? What is the means of the renewal? What is the other option in the midst of all those niches holding idols? Will it be just another God to fill a niche? Or is it something more? When Jesus sends out the disciples two by two in Luke chapter 10, he tells them to bring what? Nothing. No purse, no bag, no extra sandals. They take nothing with them but Jesus. And they encounter resistance. I find it remarkable that in one breath... Peter gets the question absolutely right. You are the Christ. But in the next breath, seconds later, Peter says, surely not, Lord. Do not say that you must be handed over. Do not say that you must be killed. Do not say that you will rise again. But even Peter's surely not, Lord, is not enough to thwart Nor is the unbelief in our world today enough to thwart Jesus Christ and his message of redemption and release that is given to us by virtue of his death and resurrection. One of the things that we find in metropolises, in cities, not just in the ancient world, but indeed in our world today, is that we find more and more people moving into the city and the more and more I talk to folks moving into the city, whether it's Birmingham or New York or London or wherever, uh, is that they're coming to the city for something different, uh, for something more. More. I think Isaiah captures it when he talks about the weary in our reading this morning. They're looking for a word. They're looking for a word for the weary, and they're hoping that they can find it in the city. And yet the answers that the city continues to provide are the same kinds of answers that Caesarea, Philippi, tried to provide. That one day will simply lay and ruin. And yet this morning in the midst of this beautiful metropolis in this beautiful place full of idols we hear a very clear declaration of who Jesus is the Christ. If you want to see renewal in a city even if it's about to lay in ruins if you want to see change it begins with the renewal of our own hearts the declaration of faith, of who Jesus is, and even in the midst of our doubt and unbelief at times, even as Christians, it's not enough to thwart what Jesus has done for you. It's not enough to thwart his Holy Spirit who is renewing the face of the earth and who will come one day with the angels and he will make all things new. But until then, may we have a word for the weary that Jesus is the Christ And he's come to rescue and renew a word for the weary, even in cities with lots of options. Amen.